Before I begin, I just want to um, say to you, for those of you who are not aware, it was pointed out to me um, a couple weeks ago, but then again this morning, um, the, the windows that are in the chapel on the west side, the west end of the chapel, are the windows of the Transfiguration. So if you want to see those windows at some point, I would invite you to go into the chapel and, and sort of um, sit and reflect on, on the windows that depict our story from Matthew's Gospel this morning. I used to subscribe to a newsletter that had suggestions on how to preach the lectionary texts for the Sundays. And because this particular publication believed that Transfiguration Sunday was sort of this strange, kind of hard to understand, to get your head around um, story, this newsletter suggested adding a little drama to make the text come alive. So, it suggests that the preacher of the morning get a dry ice machine or a fog machine. <laughs> Wait. And that there be a PowerPoint presentation where we have a slide of Moses and we have a slide of Elijah and we have a slide of Jesus. And it is projected on a screen that comes down from the ceiling over the altar. Now you have to have a good sound system, which we have. And you have to secure someone to dim the lights in the chancel for effect. Someone to operate the fog machine and the sound system. But one of the most important people is the lay reader who adds that finishing touch. Now, here are the instructions. These would be called rubrics in the Episcopal Church. These are verbatim. As the text is written, read at the appropriate moments, turn off the slides of Moses and Elijah. So the only slide left is Jesus. Turn on the fog machine hoping that it's not too loud, in sufficient time that the fog thickens behind the altar to where Jesus is. And then the voice of the lay reader booms out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. And then finally, turn off the fog machine. In big, bold, black letters, don't forget to turn off the fog machine. Nathan, <laughs> do you have the fog machine ready? Okay, okay. Yeah. I thought long and hard about using this strategy to open my sermon, but I knew that Nathan would fire me on the spot and I would kind of like to hang around a little bit longer. And then I began to think about all the things that could go wrong, like the fog machine could set off a smoke alarm and bring the fire department. I've already done that once. I was preaching at St. John the Baptist, the fire alarm went off and we all had to go in the middle of my sermon, out of the church. I don't want to repeat that performance. 
Um, and if the lay reader was a woman, when the voice boomed out of the cloud, this is my son, listen to him, it might create a theological crisis for all those who think of God as only male. So, let's look at Matthew's lesson. Let's look at those words from this story of the Gospel of Matthew. Let's reflect on what we have encountered. This event happened six days after Jesus had rebuked Peter. In the previous passage, uh, chapter of of Matthew, Peter had proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, And then Jesus begins to try to prepare the disciples for what's going to happen when they get to Jerusalem. He's trying to get them ready for his arrest and his crucifixion, but Peter just simply refuses to let Jesus talk that way. And Jesus rebukes him and insists that he will indeed, what he says, will indeed come to pass. Six days, six days have passed. Isn't that the same length of time? that Moses was on the mountain waiting to receive the law from God. Time has passed, and Jesus' closest friends go with him up the mountain. Moses took only Joshua. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and leads them up this steep, rocky hillside. And no sooner had they arrived at the top than they witness an unbelievable sight. Jesus is transfigured before them. His face aglow, his clothing dazzling white. I can imagine that they must have had to shield their eyes from the light. And if that wasn't shocking enough, suddenly there are two figures standing beside Jesus, and they recognize Moses and Elijah as they talk with Jesus. Now Peter... Don't you love Peter? Being a typical A-type personality couldn't just stand there in the awesomeness of the moment. He had to do something. Peter wants to build a dwelling place, a place to take up residence in the glory of the moment. It's hard, and I'm speaking to myself now, it's hard for those of us who believe that our value lies in what we do to just sit still in the glory of God. I do understand Peter's need to build the tents for Jesus and his friends. Peter wants to build a memorial to the experience. He wants to put a box around it and keep it forever. Peter wants to make the mountaintop experience his permanent address. But you know, we can't live up there. After the transfiguration, Jesus led Peter, James, and John back down the mountain, back to the valley, back to the real world, for that's where they live and work. I confess to you that I have not had many of those really high mountaintop experiences. After all, there was only one transfiguration, and only three of Jesus' disciples experienced it, and only Moses had those extraordinary sightings of God on the mountain. My life has primarily not been filled with mountaintop experiences. I haven't often been visited by a cloud in which the voice of God was present. But there have been many times 
and many places when I have felt God's presence. Maybe that's the same for you. The story of my life is that of a daily sensing of God's presence as I walk through the valleys. Every day I get a glimpse, often in quiet and subtle yet powerful ways, of God at work in the world around me. For me, I have more often seen and heard God in still, small, quiet ways and voices than in the spectacular mountaintop experiences. I've encountered God when that one phrase or that one word comes to me from the Bible when I most need it. Or when there's that inexplicable peace that comes into a situation that's fraught with stress and strife. I witnessed God in that spontaneous laughter. Did you hear the child this morning? That spontaneous laughter of a child and it tickles my funny bone. I encounter God when I witness the tender nuzzle of two people who have been in relationship for many, many years. I encounter God when I see a young man help an elderly woman lift her shopping cart onto the sidewalk. And then I am reminded of how richly blessed I am. And I often, very often, I see God in you, in your laughter and your tears, in your compassion and in your sharing, in your wisdom, in your friendship, in your wit, in your service to one another and to the world around us. God is in you. I suspect that you have had similar experiences. Perhaps it was something you read or something you saw. Maybe it was while you were out for a walk. Perhaps you were simply looking out the window while listening to music. Before you knew it, you caught a glimpse of God or you heard God speak to you in some still small voice, giving you an insight you needed, a reminder of something important you'd forgotten. Or simply, a reminder from God saying, hey, hey, I'm still here. I'll never leave you. Jesus has a wonderful way of doing that. We get experiences of that throughout scripture. You know, he would be walking along with his disciples and he'd point something out and he'd say, see that little child over there? You must become like a child in order to enter God's kingdom. Or see that tiny, tiny mustard seed? If you had faith as great as it, you could move mountains. Or see that lamp? See that lamp? You're lamps. You're the lights on a hill. You are my lights to the rest of the world. I guess I'm trying to say that we cannot make the mountaintop experiences, those extraordinary encounters with God, our norm. 
They are special gifts, no doubt. And we cherish them, and we revisit them, and we draw strength from them, but we can't live there. God is as much, if not more so, in the valleys as on the mountaintops, if we will just look and listen. Yesterday, I spent the morning with the members of the Trinity Pastoral Care Team. It was an extraordinary experience as people talked about how God is working in each of their lives. As part of our opening circle time, people were invited to share the symbols that they had brought and how these symbols reflected and represented God's presence in their life. For me, with each offering, I felt as though we were getting closer and closer and closer to the mountaintop. In a mystifying way, it seemed that Jesus stood before us, enlightening the room and transforming our space. I want to share with you one of those offerings from yesterday's gathering. It expresses God's transformative love in our lives. It's a piece of poetry written by Sarah Wood, and it's entitled, Old Man by the Audi Dealership. The sheepskin car seats heated my bottom to perfection as I drove to church in my judiciously chosen, modest yet fashionable Nordstrom pants and exited my car in the shadow of the Audi dealership reserved for Sunday churchgoers like myself, fed, preened, and exercised this morning of the hunger moon. A dream from the night before had come out of hiding. The cross on my prayer reads had one arm broken off. What could that mean? And as I was as, and just as I'm sliding on my cozy gloves, I see him, Jesus, in one of the most distressing disguises, the oldest man in Portland, bent over and trembling with the effort of pushing a Fred Meyer cart before him, attempting to navigate the tree roots that had lifted the sidewalk into jutting prisms, treacherous even for the balanced upright churchgoers with no baggage except small pocketbooks to carry credit card and phone. His portable home held mounds of plastic bags as he inched along in gnarled helplessness towards McDonald's. And then the street went silent. Heartbeat of the earth joining exhale of winter night, and in a flash, I saw myself pushing his wagon for him, touching the soiled rim of it, smelling his unwashed body as I escorted him to coffee. It was ludicrous. The very thought of it held me immobile. No doubt he wasn't safe. I might get hurt. What could I do? 
So I did nothing but prayed, Lord, have mercy. And my failure haunts me even now. The fact that I passed up Jesus on the way to church. Forgive me, Lord. My brothers and sisters, as we enter this Lenten season, search for Jesus. Look for the signs of God's presence in your life. For God is only a breath away.